Welcome to the TMB Women in Business podcast, created for the aspiring CEO. Every week, we provide you with tips on all things business and entrepreneurship. You'll hear from industry leaders on topics such as marketing, business growth, and branding. This podcast is hosted by Mahi Kola, the 16-year-old teen entrepreneur behind the Minty Boutique, a Lux stationery company with a mission to change the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the TMB Women in Business podcast. Today, we'll be interviewing Austin Tassone. Austin is a writer, editor, and blogger living in New York City. She has previously worked as an editor at Interview and Nylon, and after experiencing industry layoffs twice, she started freelancing and does everything from fashion, beauty editorial writing, to copywriting, to creating brand and content for companies like Garnier, Revlon, and the New York Times. Austin is now a full-time content creator. In addition to running her blog, Keep Calm and Chiffon, she also writes for publications like Refinery29, Fashionista, Insider, and more. She recently released an ebook, Write on Pitch, where she shares tips for how to pitch an idea to brands and publications for aspiring writers, bloggers, and other entrepreneurs. I'm so excited for you to listen in on our conversation today. If you'd like to receive an email recap of the episode, sign up for our email list at tiny.cc slash T-M-B-W-I-B-E-M-A-I-L or tiny.cc slash T-M-B-W-I-B email. All right, let's jump right in. Hi, Austin. Welcome to the TMB Women in Business podcast. How are you today? Oh my god, hi. I'm so happy to be on and I'm doing well and just so excited to chat to you. And you are so impressive, by the way. I literally died when I found out you were 16. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on and share your story. Um, so let's just get started. The first question I have for you is just for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're currently working on. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Austin Tassone. I have lived here in New York for almost six years in August, and I am a full-time fashion and beauty content creator and freelance writer. So basically, that means I do many different things. Um, I work on branded content creation for different beauty and fashion brands. I write articles for publications like Fashionista, Insider, um, among others. And I also do some brand copywriting, which involves, you know, product descriptions or the copy and the emails that they send out to their customers and kind of a mix of all of that kind of stuff. And that is pretty much what I am up to and what I spend my days doing. And I also run my um, fashion and beauty blog, Keep Calm and Chiffon. And I also have a YouTube channel. That is so cool. And it's incredible that you've written for such like prestigious uh, publications and ones that like I'm sure all of us listening recognize. And that's just absolutely so cool. Um, so how did you first kind of get started in writing and doing all this? Yeah, absolutely. So Basically, growing up, um, my mom was a magazine editor, and I think I spent a good deal of my life thinking, well, I'm not going to be doing that, um, which, of course, led me directly into the path of wanting to be a magazine editor. 
So <laughs> when I was in college, uh, I went to school here in the city at Barnard, and I interned at different fashion magazines. I even interned with a designer, and I also interned with College Fashionista, um, basically taking photos of street style around Barnard and Columbia's campuses and writing articles each week on kind of the different trends I was seeing. So all of that mm -hmm. was kind of my intro into the world of fashion and editorial. And after school, I was lucky enough to have stayed in touch with one of my intern supervisors at Nylon, who was looking to hire an editorial assistant for the print magazine. Uh, so that's where I went after college. And I worked at Nylon for about a year and a half um, until September 2017, when the print magazine folded. So I lost my job. And that was really hard on me, just because not only was I such a big fan of, you know, the magazine, because I had been reading it for mm -hmm. years growing up, but I really felt unsure all of a sudden about this path about even being in magazines and being a fashion writer and kind of doing all of that stuff. So I was out of work for about a month, kind of just doing some in-between stuff. But then exactly one month after Nylon folded, pretty much, I started at Interview and I was assistant editor, which was the title that I had gotten promoted to at Nylon. And then I worked at Interview for eight months until it folded in May of last year in 2018. So I've been full-time freelance for about a year now. And one thing that I'm actually really grateful for is that I have gotten the chance now to write for so many different publications, because when you're on staff somewhere, you get very used to one particular voice. Whereas now, you know, I've written for Refinery29, I've written for Fashionista, mm -hmm. I've written for the Zoe Report. You really kind of get to know each publication's distinct voice and who exactly they're trying to reach. So I'm definitely grateful mm -hmm. to have had the opportunity to expand my writing in that way. Yeah, that's that's so cool. I, I it's it's I mean, one thing that I found from all hearing all these stories is that sometimes entrepreneurship comes from, you know, a job loss or some kind of other loss in your life and it sucks, but I think that like struggle really helps us find something that we're truly passionate about. And I completely agree that because you've had so much experience in the industry already, you're now able to take that experience and create your own um create whatever you want from it because you've learned so much in writing and photography and all these different things now you can create your own blog and other projects yeah definitely and it's you know it's kind of a sink or swim situation it's like i live in new york city it's yeah. very expensive to live here you have to pay rent. yeah you, have to, you know you want to be able to say yes when your friends want to go get a drink after work or whatever it is and i feel like this was really just a chance for me to say, I mean, I might as well give it a go and see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been, I've been definitely happy with everything that has kind of come from it so far. And you kind of touched on this, but I would love to know, like, what inspires you to keep growing? And why did you choose entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, creating your own thing? Well, a big part of it is honestly just getting real about the way that the media and publishing industries are right now. I mean, even my friends mm -hmm. who work for digital publications, which is obviously safer than print media, which I was um, in originally, you know, they have to turn out like five to 10 articles a day. Everything has to be extremely clickable and SEO focused and affiliates mm -hmm. and commerce departments are bigger now than they ever were. And it is just one of those situations where I didn't want to feel like I was you know, getting burned out, just constantly churning out that content. And that's something that I still juggle with, you know, in my own business, even with my blog and my Instagram account and all of that kind of stuff. But 
I just took a look at this and said, is this something that I really want to keep pursuing when I see the path that it's going now? And I think the answer is yes and no. Like I do like being involved and I like that I still get to write for these, you know, national publications that I've always read and admired as well. But I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, branded content is becoming bigger. Video is becoming bigger. Like you have to learn how to do so much more than just write a good story now. Um, And that's something that I feel like my YouTube channel, I've really grown with that. And even with video content on like my Instagram account now, um, I do a Mm -hmm. few hashtags for different kinds of videos that I do. I have style by Austin and beauty by Austin. And, you know, when you see the shareability of those photos and, or sorry, those videos, and you see how many more people feel compelled by them and how much more of a story you're telling, even compared to just a still photo, like it's really fascinating. I mean, pretty much all of the media that I consume now either comes from podcasts or YouTube. And I feel like I'm reading less and less. And so you know, why not focus on what has caught my interest lately? Yeah, I completely agree. Everything media-wise, I see so much of it is turning to word um, video content because on paper, even like still photos, as you said, it's very curated and it's it's always like the final result after the filters and everything's been added. But with even of edited and um, you know saturated YouTube video, you still do get some kind of sense of um, this is who that person is that I'm watching. Like you can see them and you can like in- not interact with them, but you're able to engage with them in a way that's very different than what you can do on Instagram by just liking it or leaving a comment. Um, in a YouTube video, you're able to actually watch them do whatever they're doing and especially the kind of turn for videos to now be the filter has gone and even in about I would say like in the last four years YouTube videos have become much less edited much less um, you know very bright and cutesy and like if we're just talking about lifestyle content a lot of it has now become very minimalistic and much more focused on a personal connection versus um, very edited and uh, the perfect life kind of content. Yeah, definitely. And I try to, you know, strike a balance on my own personal channel, I would say between kind of the more editorial content that I think, you know, Mm -hmm. the video department at Nylon used to create and also, you know, just the vlogs and the day-to-day life of being a freelancer and of being a blogger. Um, I've noticed even that the things I get the most responses to on my Instagram stories might be when I'm sharing my daily schedule or, you know, if I do a takeover for a brand, um, then you want to come around with me and see what my day is actually like because Mm -hmm. there's such a curiosity about it. And I think the more transparent that people are willing to be about it, the better it would work out for everyone. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Let's jump into the topic that you picked for today. Um, I know you wanted to talk about SEO and how you've been able to use that for Pinterest and YouTube. So I'll just hand you the mic here. Um, We'll just start with wherever you want to start. Yeah, absolutely. So I had been watching YouTube, I think for, I mean, I feel like I've been watching YouTube for forever going back. Like I remember watching Zoello do candle hauls and <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. And I was always intrigued by it, but definitely intimidated, not because of my, I actually felt pretty comfortable with my on-camera presence. Um, I studied theater a lot growing up, but I was definitely nervous about production quality. So my video mm-hmm. editing skills, is the lighting going to be okay? Is the music going to be horrible? Like, how do I even make this feel seamless? And do I have the editing? 
everything I now translated to video, not just from what I was used to of editing, you know, words. And so I finally just kind of jumped into it and said, you know what? And I recorded two videos one afternoon and I said, I'll do one a week and just see how it goes. And that was in the summer of 2017. So just past my two-year anniversary on YouTube now. And what I noticed actually is that there are certain types of videos that perform really well on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've seen them before. You know, there's the um, like come shopping with me tag or, you know, different types of like product tutorials or um, travel videos and all of that kind of stuff. And I noticed two in particular that really stood out to me that were performing the best, which was my travel videos and more so like my travel guides where I was giving actual like useful information. And then also my beauty product reviews. So one thing that I kind of do on my YouTube channel is these Glossier product reviews because um, everyone loves Glossier. And whenever there's a new mm -hmm. product out, the biggest question that gets asked is like, is it worth the hype? So I decided to take advantage of the fact that I do live here in New York where the showroom is. And whenever there's mm -hmm. a new Glossier product out, no matter what I'm doing that day, like no matter what was on the schedule, I schedule in time to go to the sh showroom, pick up the product. I come back, I film a review, I edit it, and I upload it pretty much that night um, just to be able to get some content out there for people who are mm -hmm. searching for it. Because what I realized with those videos is that since I have the access to the product before anybody else does, it's a situation where there's a high search volume but low competition. So that means, yeah. you know, that people are wanting to hear more about the product, but there's only probably at that point going to be two or three videos for them to actually watch that are going to tell them what they want to know. Whereas maybe five days later, you know, by the time everyone gets their orders that ship in five to seven business days, then now there's mm -hmm. a couple more videos out there. So it's a really good chance to rank on the first page of search on YouTube and to stand out because, you know, you're getting to it faster. And that's one thing that I noticed. And so my thought was, oh, like, honestly, even these product reviews of slightly older products, seem to perform pretty well for me. So I always like to sprinkle some of those in. And if you um, sort on my homepage of YouTube kind of by most popular videos, you'll see that the travel guides and then those beauty product reviews are always, always my most viewed videos of all time. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm so glad like that you've found what works for you and you're taking the initiative to actually go out and do that and it's hard sometimes for um someone who's just starting out to figure out what's my niche what's my what what do I actually want to do and it takes a while even for me um when I first started my YouTube channel it was definitely just for my company and I wanted to showcase our products and how you can use them but as the as it kind of went on, I also started incorporating vlogs and um, incorporating videos where I showed the behind the scenes of making the products. And that was something I had to incorporate and I wasn't sure if people would like. Um, but you found kind of what your viral content is and you've just kind of run with it. And I, I love that. I definitely think for everyone who's listening, um, one exercise I really like to do when when I'm kind of getting confused what content I fit into, what makes me stand out um, compared to the other channels similar to me, I try to write down A, which are my most popular videos, and then B, figure out what kind of content pillars they fall under. So right now, 
one of my most popular videos is a planner setup where I showed how I was using all of my products um, for organization and for to like be more productive. And in that video, that's obviously very focused on productivity and lifestyle. But then I have another video which is just focused on a vlog of me as a teen entrepreneur and I am like doing homework and I'm filling orders. And so those two are my most popular videos. And I found it's because people like seeing like me and what I'm up to, but I've also been able to share and I figure out that productivity is what customer or followers come to me for. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so smart of you to think of it in that way, because then you can not only analyze, you know, what has worked well in the past, but predict what mm-hmm. other topics people might want to see in the future. So if it's a planner setup video, like you said, and then, you know, one of your next videos is top five ways to like actually achieve your goals. You know, the other thing that's really helpful, I think on YouTube is kind of the binge quality. So if you say, mm. you know, I have a whole other video on actually how I set up my planner. So I'll link it down below. So you can go hop over there and watch it when you're done watching this video. Mm-hmm. Like once you create that kind of spider web in your videos of all of the binge worthy content, um, like in those cards that you can insert in YouTube are so helpful for that then I feel like Mm -hmm. it really makes someone understand that you're the expert in this field, not just because you have one video on it, but because you have 10 of very similar topics. And I feel like that helps build authority on your channel because if your watch time increases from that, that is definitely a huge factor of YouTube statistics that I feel like you don't get, you know, on Instagram or you don't, you wouldn't get on Twitter or Facebook. It's such a YouTube specific factor. And it really, that's why video content is so amazing and that's why it weighs so much and why advertisers are looking to do more video yeah i definitely agree um one thing kind of touched on was the ability to be like the next video um when people are binging videos they most likely um the suggested video is what they are looking at to find their next video so i would love to know if you have any tips to make your video, especially if you're a new creator, um, be one of the next videos or make sure that if if your audience is watching someone else's video about, let's just say productivity, how do you ensure that you use, let's say the right title or the right keywords to make sure you're one of the next suggested videos? Yeah, absolutely. So I have two um, Google Chrome plugins that I would recommend. The first one is called VidIQ. And I actually only just use the free version right now. There is a paid version. But what that actually helps with is once you put a video live, if you go back into your video editor and scroll down, one of the things that VidIQ does is find a similar video and actually show you the tags that have been used in that video. And most Mm -hmm. of the time it's like one of the more popular videos. And you can literally like steal the same tags from that person's video and add them onto yours. So for me, I recently did, you know, a tour of my New York City apartment and I love watching those videos. And I know that they generally perform pretty well on YouTube, but just Mm -hmm. to make sure I was maximizing my potential reach, I went and looked at you know, some of the other most popular videos. And then I used vidIQ to help me sort out the keywords that were on those most popular videos. So that maybe if someone is watching that, I do have a higher chance of showing up on suggested as one of the next ones. 
Um, the other plugin I wanted to mention is Keywords Everywhere. And again, these are both um, Google Chrome specific. So you want to make sure you have Chrome so you can use them. Keywords Everywhere is awesome because if you go into the YouTube search bar and you're thinking about a video topic, what it does is actually show you like the keyword search volume per month. So I feel like the sweet spot for newer channels is somewhere between, you know, maybe like uh, 500 to 20,000 searches per month, you know, something that's a little bit more niche. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I looked up a couple of weeks ago how to mince garlic because I thought I knew what it was, but I wasn't fully sure. And, <laughs> you know, that's like a very like general question. So a billion videos came up about it. But if you're mm -hmm. able to talk about something a little bit more niche, like I recently put out a video, five tips for freelance writers, like how to pitch an editor. And I mm -hmm. feel like that is something that someone might type into YouTube, hoping that they're going to get the right kind of video, but not fully sure. But I did a lot of keyword research before I even titled that video to make sure that it was something someone was searching for. So I don't really recommend copying word for word, like the name of a popular video, but even if there's a phrase or something that you can latch onto that you see is popping up in keywords everywhere, or if you use another SEO kind of plugin tool to identify it, I feel like that makes a big difference because even a couple weeks ago, I'll give you another example from my own channel. Um, Topshop uh, is closing their U.S. stores, which I'm extremely sad about. And oh, I really? did. I did not know. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they had to declare bankruptcy here, I think, but they're still going to be uh, carried in Nordstrom and then in the U.K. So not all is lost, but they oh, are. Okay. <laughs> I know it's so sad, but they're closing yeah. their 11 U.S. stores. And I went to the store closing sale here in New York, and I bought mm -hmm. a handful of things. So I decided to film a haul video. And I originally had it titled like Topshop Store Clo Closing Hall. And I switched it after a day of it being live to Topshop Hall Store Closing because more people are searching for Topshop Hall than they are for Topshop Store Closing, the way mm -hmm. that those were put together. So even playing around with that, you know, after a video goes live, you can totally like update the title or add in some extra tags. Um, I've gone back and added some little SEO um, sentences here and there to my older videos and even reiterating, you know, maybe the question that someone is typing into the search bar in the first hundred words of your description box. Like, did you come here to learn how to pitch an editor? Like using that phrase again, I'll give you my five best tips for pitching, like five best tips for pitching could be another one. So mm -hmm. you want to make it sound conversational, but the more of those keywords that you can beef up your description box with, I feel like the better that you have a chance of being not just um, coming up and suggested, but also ranking higher on the search page. Yeah, that's something that I had to play around with too. And on all sorts of things, like even for just Google itself, um, if we're looking outside of YouTube, making sure your website or your blog is the one that comes up when um, someone looks, for, looks up something. For example, for my for stationary because we were originally selling on Etsy and Etsy is its own kind of search engine. You don't really have to do, you should do marketing to get people to your Etsy page, but I got a lot of customers just from them looking up on Etsy, whatever they were looking for. And then my, uh, my shop popped up. But once we moved to a standalone site, it was like a completely different um, beast really. Um, my views went down significantly the first few months and I just didn't know what to do. And I figured out it was because I was now on a much bigger search engine and people were looking for this kind of stuff 
all the time and they I had a lot more competitors um, and it wasn't a small search engine where people like knew that when they went to Etsy they were looking for handmade products and they were looking for something like specific when you go to Google you're, you're people are looking for all sorts of things and your shop might pop up it might not but it took me a while playing around with the listing names as well as the tags and um, text we had on our site to figure out what can I put on here that when people search up productivity tools or planners mine will be one of the first ones that pops up and I'm still working on it um I don't think we're on the first page yet like the first result if I look up uh planners I I don't think so but I know the kind of steps that I need to take to get there and it's it's been a long journey so for everyone listening don't think that as soon as you add one keyword you're suddenly become going to become as popular as that video you were taking the keywords from they also probably were playing around with it and honestly sometimes it is just like a one hit wonder uh a lot of times when um people suddenly sometimes have like a surge to look up productivity videos and theirs just ends up being at the top every single time so the number of people clicking will increase and then youtube will think like, oh, there are more people clicking it, let's share it even more. And so as the video gets watched more, it's going to be shared even more. And that's why it keeps going up. You might use the exact same keywords, you might use the same title and everything, but it just kind of depends on the algorithm. So that's one thing I just want everyone to listen that SEO is really important, but sometimes the algorithm can just screw you over. It totally can. And to give just one more example from my own channel, um, I filmed a decluttering video in the fall for my like fall wardrobe, you know, make room for the winter or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that video, I think, gained more popularity come January when the Marie Kondo series had launched on Netflix. Yeah. So at this point, it's made it kind of into that top area of one of my most viewed videos. And then when I did the same thing for this spring, and I literally even put KonMari method in the title, it was like, it was over by then, you know, I'd kind of missed yeah. it. Whereas just lucky because of timing, the other one was almost like me getting ahead of that trend. Um, so if there's ever a way to like, even predict that something like that might happen, you know, the, the earlier, the better. Um, I was even like chatting with a brand about a collaboration that we're going to be doing. And it's kind of like a summer hair related thing. And mm -hmm. the, the original date she had suggested, I was like, I kind of feel like people are going to be talking about back to school by then. So we mm -hmm. might miss our moment if we wait that long. Um, and you just have to kind of, I mean, that's kind of helpful for me coming from an editorial background as I'm kind of always thinking three months ahead anyway. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, we're working on the September issue right now, you know? Um, mm -hmm. so I think if you have any foresight in your industry and if you feel like you have a good grasp on what might be the next thing, like that's something very helpful to jump on for YouTube as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I, one thing that I thought of, um, just while we were talking is the idea that you have your constant media and then you have your like virality media. Um, I think all channels should have the videos that they're doing because it's just their brand that's what they love doing that's um what they're interested in and no matter um who's watching i guess and that's just the content that they're always going to put out because that's what they love doing and that's that's them promoting their brand or whatever but i think and i think that should be like a constant in your channel so um you know maybe like every week you're always putting out that video but then 
when you find that trend or, you know, for example, all the challenges that are going around, like buying the whatever the person in front of me ordered, that's a challenge. And that's only like viral for has been viral for I believe like it'll probably be viral for like a month or two and then a new challenge will pop up and no one will be searching for that video anymore and the popularity mm-hmm. from that will be gone but right now a lot of people are watching it and if you if you um put do that video and put it up on your channel you're more likely to get people to at least watch the video and then hopefully subscribe obviously but I think having both is really important because your channel isn't going to channel or brand itself isn't going to survive solely based on virality because at some point that viral piece is going to be gone and you're going to be left with like no real brand but if you have that backbone of your brand that you have constant and then you do these videos or this content that is based on the trends that are going on in that moment then I think you'll have a much better balance and have much Um, faster growth. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up. You know, like, virality will only get you so far. And even, you know, for if Glossier drops a new skincare product, I only release a first impressions video. So I can describe the texture or the feeling Mm -hmm. or, you know, that kind of stuff. I obviously can't predict how my skin will be reacting to it in two weeks time. But even then, I can post a follow up video. I did that when they released solution. And I said, Hey, here's what my results are after two weeks of using this product. Because Mm -hmm. I wanted to get that initial video up just to show my first impression. Like, is this a Mm -hmm. product oily? Is this a product that feels sticky? Is it a product that feels smooth? Like even just to give the descriptor, like you still have to add value. You can't just even if like they did release a new skincare product, I would never get on my channel and be like, all right, I tried it. And like, it seems to be okay. You know, you you have to still be honest. And I think what you just said is absolutely right. That at the end of the day, you still have to have good content, no matter what kind of tags or headlines that you're trying to use to get someone to click on it. Ultimately, if they don't get the answer that they're looking for, they're going to look somewhere else for it. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Jumping from that, I would love to talk about um, other forms of kind of building your community, Um, going into email list. Email list is something that I started off kind of late. I think I started it two years into my business, which was one of my mistakes. I wish I had started it just like at the very beginning. Um, So I'd love to know. (laughs) Sorry, what? I couldn't hear you. Oh, sorry. I said we're in the same boat. I'm the same way. I feel like I jumped on it too late and I really wish I started Yeah. Here. Yeah, because I know that there were people who were following me from the very beginning that I know would have loved to join an email list, but I just I never were, was able to reach out to them again because they were just like a like or a few comments on Instagram and uh, I didn't get a chance to add them to an email list where I could contact them again. But yeah, so I would love to know kind of how A, you first decided to start your email list and how you've grown it. So I definitely should have watched your productivity video before I (laughs) ventured into the email marketing because I, that was something that was sitting on my to-do list. I swear like every week I rewrote it at the top of the list and it just kept getting pushed off because Mm -hmm. there are shinier things in front of us like Instagram and our blogs and our, you know, that kind of content. And it can be so easy to feel like you can just put it off. But 
I really like I've seen the power of email marketing and the fact that, you know, I've found someone on YouTube and they've put mentioned a lead lead magnet in their video, you know, that mm-hmm. I have a free download if you go to my website and then I end up on their email list. And then next thing you know, they're marketing their course to me and oh, there's a sale on the course. Like you have to act now. Like it's so ridiculous how much more sales are made through email lists than they are yes. through Instagram or social media. Um, I think the statistic is like something like they're five times more likely to purchase yeah. if you're an email list. Um, I'm not, don't quote me fully on that, but you, <laughs> you understand the difference. And um, one thing that really changed the game of my email list was having some kind of opt-in. So having some kind of freebie um, downloadable or even like a little mini course that you could put on your subscription list. So the free download that I created for my Instagram was um, eight tips for taking better photos and no professional camera required because I felt like people were always joking with me like, oh, like, how do you like pose for Instagram? Or like, how do you know which photos are going to perform the best? And Mm -hmm. I honestly thought like, you know what, I could spend, like, if someone DMs me that I could write back to each individual person every single time. Or I could redirect them to the subscription form and say, you know what, I actually have a free download. If you just click here and enter your email, you'll get access to it right away. And then if you have any follow up questions from there, I'm happy to answer them because it really has helped in that sense, kind of automate that aspect of my business. And I'm always now looking for ways to, what can I automate? What can I outsource if possible? What can I group together in kind of my batching workflow if I'm doing batching that day? And Mm -hmm. I think it just made such a difference to me. And I'm actually in the process of launching an entirely new email list um, through an entirely new website, which I can't wait to share more about soon. Um, I'll definitely be updating my Instagram followers as well as my YouTube audience. So that would be the best place to hear updates about that. But right now, I really wanted my newsletter to be able to add value to people And the newsletter I have currently is really just kind of a roundup of, you know, what you missed this week on the blog. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people actually signed up for that, I think, in part because they feel like with the Instagram algorithm and even just with, you know, the amount of people they probably follow and the content they consume, you know, they might actually miss something that they want would have wanted to see from me. Mm-hmm. So that's where I kind of use that as an opportunity to send out, you know, all the videos from this week. Here's blog posts from this week. Here's what you missed over on Instagram. But I always still make it personal. Like I always still write a little note at the beginning. And then I also have a newsletter exclusive shopping section called Currently Coveting, where you can shop my picks from like one specific kind of idea or topic. Mm-hmm. So a couple of weeks ago, it was like, you know, barrettes, all the barrettes that I'm craving right now. Um, I also did like a neon one. I've done strappy sandals, um, cowboy boots, you know, and I just do a roundup of my favorite ones that are out on the market right now, just because Mm -hmm. I do want my newsletter subscribers to feel like they're getting something extra. Like if they're trusting me with their email, I want to make sure that I'm actually giving something valuable. So it kind of started off with that touch point of the free download tip sheet that I had and then kind of evolved into you're getting an extra look at what's going on in my life. Um, But this new newsletter that I'm in the process of launching is going to be entirely career focused. So it's going to be all just like each week you're getting something new in your inbox that's going to help you in whatever your career or your side hustle or your business is. And I really just want to use it as a way to add value in a way that I feel like I don't have a space to do otherwise right now. So I'm very excited about that. But um, 
Yeah, I definitely would recommend getting some kind of weed magnet or download to encourage people to opt in because it's kind of hard to get someone to trade their email address these days. And I yeah. feel like as long as they're getting something in return, they'll be more willing to do it. Yeah, I, 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 when I first started my email list, it was just um, customers who every time they purchased their name was automatically added to the email list but from there i was just seeing how um like after doing some research as you mentioned the conversion rates i believe it's been a while since i looked at these numbers but i believe it's about a one percent no yeah one percent e-commerce conversion rate from social media and like five or seven percent from email and that might seem like really low like one in a hundred people but if right. you're thinking about it, if you have a ton of people on your email list, you're still going to get so many more conversions from your email list than you are from social media. And while social media is really fun, it looks really nice. It's um, it's like, again, it's that, it's that perfect reel of your business. Even though that's true, the people that are scrolling, like just think about your own habits. Like when you're scrolling, a lot of times I don't stop to read whatever the announcement is, or um, I don't stop to, you know, click every single one, but I sometimes don't even really look at the picture when I like it. And I found that whenever I post about a sale on my Instagram, it's like so low performing when I'm averaging like a few hundred likes on each photo i probably get like 50 likes on a post where it's just text and i'm just saying like today we have a sale for like mother's day or something that if i post that and a lot of people are just scrolling past it because they see so many text posts every day they'd rather just scroll past it and so i found that email has always been the better version for me and you guys um, know that every time at the end of the episode and at the beginning, I encourage you to sign up for our email recap list for the podcast. And that's something that I've created, like you said, like a recap email. I, every week after the episode, I send a recap of what we talked about in the episode. So as you said, like, obviously we're going to be speaking for this episode will probably be 40 minutes or over. And that's a long time for someone to sit down if they aren't sure that that's what they want to listen to. And I understand that. So I wanted to create an email that goes out when the episode goes out. So you know, like, okay, today we talked about like SEO and that's something I really need to work on in my business. So let me listen to this episode or something like that. And so that entices more people to also just click on the episode. For my own business, um, separate from the podcast, I because we're like planners, I sent out or I offered a freebie where you can try out our different systems um, before you purchase and then you get a coupon code for putting your email in. And that's something that has been really, really helpful because so many people want to try out the system before they put their money down. And for me, it's just, the, I just have to create a printable version of it. And not only do I get more sales from it because they've tried out the system, but their email is added to the email list because they need that to get access to the Dropbox file. So I love those strategies. Um, they definitely work. And I love how you mentioned it's so important to always add value and treat your email list like it's separate from your Instagram. I like you said, I always try to give them something more than what they would just find on Instagram because it is such like a personal 
like conversation, you're sending it directly to their inbox and um, emails that they probably check every single day. While Instagram, you know, they're just going to check when they're bored or they're just looking at everyone else's posts, but they chose to give you their email and hear from you every once in a while directly to their inbox. So that's definitely like a special relationship that when you are creating content and when you're sending out emails, it's like important to respect that. Yeah, absolutely. And oh my God, you're a genius for those recap emails because seriously, there are some times where I listen to a podcast that could easily be an hour or even longer. And sometimes I just, you know, I, I'm running to work or I'm running back from Trader Joe's or I'm standing in line. And, you know, you could get a little distracted from what you're even listening to, which mm-hmm. is completely understandable. So the fact that you're offering that as a resource is honestly genius. I don't know why every podcast doesn't do that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I hope like everyone who reads it um, finds it helpful. I, um, well, by the time this episode goes up, we'll have had the email list running for a few weeks now. Um, and actually, no, it'll be about a month in. And so, yeah, I hopefully we'll have heard some good feedback from it. But that's something new we're trying out for season two. Yeah, and definitely sign me up for it. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Um, okay, so going off of that, um, do you have any you know final stories or anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up the episode? Um, I just wanted to also add in that I really think it's so important as an entrepreneur or as a freelancer, I guess, specifically speaking more towards my situation, that you really, at the end of the day, have something that you can lean back on for your business. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, my situation of starting freelancing, to be transparent, was not ideal, right? Like, I got laid off from my job. I had worked there for less than a year, so I did not receive severance at that point. So Mm -hmm. it was really a situation of sink or swim, as I mentioned. But I think even now that I've been full-time freelance for a year here, you know, getting clients is great, and having clients on monthly retainer is especially great. But even those can disappear, you know, for situations completely out of your control. So I just found out yesterday that a client that I've been working with for a couple of months now, maybe six months, I want to say, is not continuing their relationship with their freelancers. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, is a substantial chunk of change that I now have to make sure that I'm filling each month to meet my, um, you know, goals for each month as far as revenue Mm -hmm. goes. But if you have your own products and services that is something that you will always be able to re-promote and fall back on. And that's why, you know, I created my digital ebook. Um, it's called Write on Pitch, and it's a complete guide to pitching editors or if you're a blogger, pitching brands. Um, there are also tips for negotiating your rates and everything. And that is a product that I just launched in May. But I'm also working on some bigger projects that will hopefully be even bigger and better resources for freelancers or bloggers, entrepreneurs, anyone who feels like they need a little bit of guidance out here in this wild west, um, because I know that is something I would have killed for when I was first starting out. And, you know, I want to make sure that I'm providing these kind of resources and that they're what my audience wants. So if I can kind of create, you know, an online course or even more digital products or all of that, that generates passive income to my business so that I'm not trading dollars for hours, that I feel like is such a big part of it. And I really just want to like 
let freelancers know or anyone who is even considering freelancing that the two biggest things that I would consider if you want to go down this route are to have consistent monthly clients or have a client on monthly retainer and obviously always have a contract in place too. Mm-hmm. And also just to you know create your own products and services because at the end of the day, that is what is going to be kind of the core of your business. And that is going to be something that you can control completely and no one else can take away from you. So it's it's a little crazy out there, but it's like you can definitely always count on yourself. So really trust in what you're doing and invest in resources that could help you to improve. Um, I took a YouTube course called YouTube for Bosses that really helped me you know, figure out a lot of this SEO and keyword research and all of that kind of stuff. And I mm-hmm. really feel like, it's worth it to invest in yourself. So even if that's something small, you know, it could be like, you know, you go on Teachable or any one of these sites, you could find a course for anything that could be $30. Like maybe that's your jumping off point. Or, you know, if it's even under $10, you could buy right on pitch, which is $9. And I feel like Mm -hmm. there's always something that you could look to or invest in to help scale your business. And yeah, it's, um, it's definitely something that I'm looking forward to diving more into for the rest of 2019. Yeah, definitely diversify um, what you're doing and make sure you have a stable source of income every month, especially for freelancers, because, you know, things change all the time. So, yeah, Yeah. with that, thank you so much for today. Um, I have a few questions that we ask our interview, every single interviewee. Um, So what was the what was one word or phrase that you would say describes your business journey? Uh, Um passionate. I mean, at every twist and turn, I've always still felt, you know, this draw towards storytelling and this draw towards fashion and beauty. And just I whenever I do something, I do it 100%. So I would probably say passionate. Yes, I love that. Um, And then of course, because I want everyone listening to find you and they ever need anything freelance, or of course, just follow you on YouTube, where can they find you? Yay, thank you. So you can find me on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and YouTube at Austin Tassone. My Facebook page for my blog is Keep Calm and Chiffon, and my blog is keepcommonchiffon.com. And hopefully by the time this episode comes out, I will have launched austintassone.com, and that's where you'll be able to find me and book me for any of my freelance services, which include writing and editing and copywriting and all of the good stuff. Um, But it's all pretty straightforward, and that's Austin with an E because I'm named after Jane Austen. (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much for today. I loved our conversation and all the useful tips you shared about SEO and creating your email list. Um, Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, girl. I wish I had been friends with you in high school because I feel like you and I would have been like tag teaming it and just killing it. I'm so appreciative for you having me on. (laughs) Yeah, if you're ever in the Bay Area or anything, let me know. We can go grab a cup of coffee. That sounds amazing. Thank you again so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the TMB Women in Business podcast. Check out our Instagram where we provide you with the answers to all the questions you have about entrepreneurship. For an email recap of this week's episode, join our email list at tiny.cc slash T-M-B-W-I-B-E-M-A-I-L. If you want to join a community of like-minded entrepreneurs where I give case-by-case advice to you, join our Facebook group. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen. If you're listening to this episode on our YouTube channel, subscribe and leave a comment. 
Thank you so much for your support. And I'll see you next week with even more business advice.